You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Save your money, Joe. Semperify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Hacking Humans podcast, an occasional series we call Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is my Hacking Humans co-host, Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. On this show, Joe and I look at clips from some of our favorite movies, clips which demonstrate some of the scams and schemes we talk about over on Hacking Humans. And joining us once again is my CyberWire colleague, Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer and chief analyst. Hello, Rick. Hey, guys. I have my giant gulp uh, cherry slurpee and big box of popcorn. <laughs> Let's get this going. All right. We've got some good <laughs> clips to share this week, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after this message from our show sponsor. All right, let's dive into some clips here. And Joe, you are going to uh, lead things off for us. What do you have for us this week? Dave, my clip comes from the 1987 film House of Games. Uh, It stars Lindsay Krause and Joe Mantegna, who Mm. our listeners might be more familiar with as Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The the storyline of this book is that uh, Lindsay Krause plays a psychiatrist or a psychologist who is – having this character, Mike, played by Joe Mantegna, show her around the worlds of cons and scams. And he's about to show her a scam in a Western Union. Hmm. All right, here we go. We're outside the Western Union. You'll call me when it comes in. Yes, sir. Thank you. Mike is talking to the clerk and walks back to where Lindsey Krause is sitting. The basic idea is this called a confidence game. Why? Because you give me your confidence? No, because I give you mine. Here comes somebody. You get money when you have no money. Watch closely. This is called short con. Would you please check again, please? Howard, Martin, Howard, money order for $300. Hasn't come in yet. As I told you, sir, the moment... It was it, supposed to arrive this afternoon. The moment it arrived... All right, all right. Thank you. Mike has stepped in front of another person who just walked in, and now this person... I'm expecting up. some money. Sergeant John Moran. One moment. Moran? Yes, sir. No, I'm sorry. It hasn't come in yet. They told me definitely by 9 o'clock. If you'll have a seat, I'll let you know the moment it arrives. Thank you. Let's see if you guys can recognize who is playing Sergeant Moran. Oh, I can't pull his name. Oh, my God. What is his name? From Fargo. Can you beat that? Can you beat this? I've been waiting here since, honey, since 3 o'clock this afternoon. No. Three o'clock this afternoon. I got my car stolen, my wallet. Kid's in a hotel room, hasn't eaten since noon. They told me I'd have my money by nine o'clock. I swear to God. William Macy, that's it. I pulled it. It's William H. Macy. Not until six, but I got to pick up the ticket. Where are you going? Back to Pendleton. You're in the Corps? Joe, I was in the Corps. When were you in? 
6870. Yeah, I was there. Marty Howard. John Moran. John. Okay, look, what do you need for the bus? 40. When my money comes in, I'll give you the 40. Go back to the base. No, I, I couldn't take that. The hell? What are you going to do? Miss your formation? I'll lend you the 40. When you get back to the base, send it back. Um, no, you get on that bus. Thank you. Nothing to it. You do the same for me. If my money comes in first, you no, take... No, we'll be all right. Uh-uh, no. If my money comes no, in first... No, I you... couldn't do that. Moran! Uh, now Moran's money has come in. The sergeant. The sergeant, right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Now that man is going to give his money to a total stranger. Now, you've got to take some money from me. I want you to take it. What do you need? No, we'll get by. And Joe Montaigne and, and Lindsey no, Cross stand wait. up to walk out? You tell me. What do you need? I've got it right here. Save your money, Joe. Semper Fi. And William H. Macy is actually trying like crazy to give him the money. Because mm-hmm. what has happened here is Joe Montaigne has gone, uh, has approached him and given him some uh, some code words that will tell you that we are, uh, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, just like you're in the Marine Corps. Yeah, I was there. I was in, in meeting in Vietnam. Uh, he, he's very concerned about him not missing formation. That's very important That because, you know, not showing up on time. Rick, you were in the Army, right? What happens when you don't show up on time? They shoot you. Right. <laughs> it's very important for, for Marines to be at formation on time, right? Um, right. So uh, the, at, now this movie or this scene ends with with uh, Joe Montaigne and Lindsey Krauss just walking out, not taking any money from a soldier, uh, from a Marine, which, you know, is kind of nice. But uh, so it kind of has a happy ending. But he was just showing how this scam works. Oh, I see. So he, he didn't end actually end up scamming the guy. He just wanted to demonstrate it to the woman who was with him. Right. Because uh, the plot of the movie is that she is writing a book. I see. Interesting. And so the very next step would be, would have been him accepting the money and uh, telling him he would pay him back, right? That's the, right, that's exactly. What would and then just disappeared. Right. Yep. Yeah. And right. he did so, he did not have any money coming into Western Union. He's just sitting there waiting for somebody else to come in and steps up right. in front of him and and then tells the story about how he got robbed. And he's got a kid that hasn't eaten since noon, uh, mm-hmm. and then makes the connection through the uh, through the Marine Corps. Whatever the whatever the connection was, whatever was going to happen. It doesn't matter what it is. He's going to try to build rapport on that using a broad base of knowledge. So here's the question. Right. What, do you, what do you think the odds are that uh, Joe Montaigne was actually in the Marine Corps? <laughs> oh, none. None. The, the Joe Montaigne's character, <laughs> not in the Marine Corps, yeah. No. No. No, but he really had the other guy's number, right? I mean, the right. other guy, he, he, had, uh, he had the haircut. He was carrying the duffel bag. You yep. know, yeah. he had that look of a of a military man, and and so uh, uh, they were able to uh, to figure that out, but quick. Yeah, and he implies that he went to he was he he was deployed to Vietnam. I mean, he didn't say it, but he implied it, and so right. you know, it was unseen camaraderie you know, between the two. So yeah, r- really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good All scene, right. good well, movie. Check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. All right, Joe, a uh, good one. Uh, Rick, what do you have for us this week? My clip this week is from the 2008 movie The Brothers Bloom, written and directed by Rian Johnson, and I'm probably butchering his first name. He's probably most famous to our audience for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, Knives Out with Daniel Craig, and a number of episodes from Breaking Bad. 
It stars Rachel Weitz, famous to our audience for The Mummy and The Black Widow. She played Wanda's mom. Adrian Brody, famous to our audience for probably Predators. And Mark Ruffalo, famous for playing Bruce Banner or the Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It even has a supporting role for Robbie Coltrane, who played Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies. The story is about a pair of orphans, Brody and Ruffalo, shuttled between numerous foster families in their youth who learn how to do the long con to support themselves. The movie is about their last con as adults, but this clip is their first con as kids. The boys are 9 or 10 years of age, outsiders to the townie kids in a very small town. The older brother, Ruffalo, develops a multi-stage script to trick the townie kids out of their money. When the root of Stephen's psyche, something now began. A seed of grand epiphany. A hook. A tale. A plan. A fiction, both for profit and to ease his brother's heart. A simple con in 15 steps. And this is where we start. He comes up with the tale. You tell them there's a hermit in the woods. A one-eyed, steel-toothed vagabond. With blood red eyes? That's good. He stopped you coming home from school. And told me of a cave. What kind of cave? A cave of wonder. Ha! Shut up, Dave. At noon on every Sunday, there appears a ball of light, which flutters like a butterfly. A will-o'-wisp? That's right. It guides you. If you can keep up. To where the treasure's lay. So where's this cave? Yeah, where? Aha! Uh-huh. The hermit didn't say. He got this greedy, glinting look, the filthy red-eyed leech. And said he'd tell for 30 bucks. Well, that's just two bucks each. <laughs> and then the final act in the con game record called Cooling Out the Mark, it's the end game designed so that the townie kids willingly return to their regular life without complaint. Kid Brody leads the townie kids to a cave, and Kid Ruffalo, hidden in the cave, turns on a flashlight, the will of the wisp, and the kids are delighted. And so that Sunday, straight from church, into the woods, Bloom led. They stopped. Their hearts leapt. There it was. Just like the hermit said. The tiny kids didn't know that Kid Ruffalo had constructed a muddy pit just inside the cave, and the townies all fell into it, getting their Sunday best covered with mud. But they didn't care. They were having way too much fun. For just one moment, Bloom forgot himself and ran too fast. He'd catch the light and find the treasure. But the moment passed. They didn't catch the Will-O-Wisp, but didn't really care. And Kid Ruffalo learns a big lesson on how to run a con. It seems to me that in the end, the perfect con is where each one involved gets just the thing they wanted. Yeah, I guess so. But it seems the Bloom Kid's big plan blows up in their faces when the townie kid parents learn what happened and demand their money back. Our fledgling thieves were satisfied. 
The children's parents, less so. The Bloom kids' foster parents turned them out into the streets, but the twist ending is that Kid Ruffalo anticipated the parents' response in step six of his grand plan and made a deal with the one dry cleaner store owner in the town. He knew that the parents would take all of the muddy clothes from the cave adventure to this single shop. A bitter ending? Maybe. But there's sweetness in the mix. The brothers Bloom had found their calling as shown in number six. Cut meant to negotiate percent percentage deal. O'Henry's was the town's one dry clean shop. Pleasure doing business with you. So as the Bloom kids walk out of town, they are carrying a wad of cash as their percentage of the take from the dry cleaner. And that, my friends, is how you learn how to do the big con. So what do you guys think? I think uh, I learned a lot by watching this one little con by a couple of nine-year-olds, right? So uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you think, Joe? <laughs> uh, interesting. Very interesting. I, I, you know, part of me goes, is this really a con or are these guys a couple of entertainers like P.T. Barnum? Although P.T. Barnum was kind of a con man too, right? <laughs> you give well, me, that's funny you should exactly say that, what Joe. what they want. Yeah, well, in the movie, the the Ruffalo, the big brother Ruffalo, he prides himself in being kind of a writer of stories, right? Right. And, um, and that's kind of the whole point of the whole movie, right? So yeah, you 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 caught right onto that. Yeah, yeah. I I I agree. I mean, I I was thinking like like they said. I think that little bit of uh, wisdom about is it really a con if everybody in the end gets what they wanted? Yeah, is interesting. And <laughs> in that um, you know the people, all the kids were entertained, uh, even if it ended up not being the truth. Right. Um, but then I was also impressed that the kid had the foresight to know that there was a secondary con to be had here by teaming up with the the, <laughs> the town dry cleaner. Right. Or <laughs> if we could provide him with a a, a, a steady stream of uh, a product. So right. Well, yeah. yeah. I think you could con. say. I think you could say that the dry cleaner was the con, right? And yeah. uh, whether or not the two bucks he got from each kid worked or not, it didn't matter because he's going to get the big payoff anyway. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I will tell you the other thing, too, is in all the shows we've done on this uh, Hacking Humans Goes to the Movies is uh, the successful con artists always try to convince the mark that they got away with something, right? That, and they have no—they don't know at the end— Okay, that they've been conned, and uh, and that is true here in the Brothers Bloom. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, both good clips this week for sure. Uh, thank you both. Uh, a, a fun show this week. Uh, we want to thank all of you for listening. That is our show. We also want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. And I'm Rick Howard. Thanks for listening. <laughs>